Welcome to Off the Clock, a podcast by Procino Wells and Woodland, where we take a team-centered, family-focused approach to serving the estate planning and elder law needs of our community on the Eastern Shore. I'm Amber Woodland, one of the attorneys at Procino Wells and Woodland, and I'm joined today by Michelle Procino Wells, one of our other attorneys. Glad to be here. Thanks, Michelle. <laughs> we're so excited today because we're going to be talking about what we refer to as crisis planning. This is probably the most highly strategic planning that we do in our practice, and therefore we consider it to be fun because it is strategic <laughs> and we like putting pieces of the puzzle together. And we're nerds. And we're nerds. Yeah, yeah, we are. <laughs> Let's be honest. And I think it's I think it is so rewarding to no two cases are the same. What we're gonna be talking about today is a time during a family's life where things can be highly emotional, highly stressful, and then there's a financial burden that hits them in the face too. And so really to kind of set up what we're talking about today, we're talking about a loved one who needs long-term care and needs it right now. We are in crisis, and that's why we call it crisis planning. So a senior who has received a diagnosis of, let's say, dementia or Parkinson's and is in need of assistance with their activities of daily living, and we have missed the opportunity to do any kind of pre-planning, or maybe the family had done pre-planning, but there are still assets out of the irrevocable trust that are available to pay for care. And we have a, a separate session where we're going to be talking about crisis planning for a single person. Today, our focus is really going to be on a married couple. And I think for the last decade, you and I have talked <laughs> in lots of different contexts about our favorite couple, Bob and Betty. Yeah, <laughs> Bob and Betty. <laughs> and we put names to the married couple and yeah. we talk about that because it helps illustrate yes. the concept yeah. that we're going to be talking about. So before we really dig in... Let's just talk about long-term care Medicaid and what Medicaid does when one spouse in a married couple relationship needs long-term care. They look at the the married couple's assets. And we talk a little bit about how they do that. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's important. I just wanted to add to what you said. You know, doing the planning for married couples is is especially rewarding because, you know, typically, you know, we talk about Bob and Betty in our, in our webinars mm -hmm. and, you know, we talk about Betty, you know, we say that Bob becomes ill first and we talk about Betty and what a hard role it is and how, you know, you can imagine Betty is doing her best to care for Bob and Betty is devastated, you know, when she's not able to continue caring for him at home and she, he needs to be placed in a facility and she's doing her best. And so that's, it's really, it's really hard for married couples. Um, in Delaware, we're really fortunate that um, we can get married couples help at home. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, such a blessing to so many families when they learn that that's possible and they learn that there's planning that's available to help them protect their assets. But yet, you know, Betty mm -hmm. can get help, you know, coming into the house and that's going to keep Bob home that much longer. So it's really incredible planning um, and, and really rewarding. But yeah, let's let's jump in and talk about some of these rules with Medicaid. And so the, the first thing that's really important to understand, um, and this this alleviates a lot of that fear and anxiety when we're able to share these rules. You know, there are certain exclusions for married couples and the, the biggest of which, and I think the one that gives people the most peace of mind is that the residence um, is always going to be excluded 
when at least one of the spouses is able to live there. So obviously, if they're both still living at home and they're receiving care at home, and I, you know, I didn't add, I mentioned Delaware, but unfortunately in Maryland, where we also practice, um, that Maryland really doesn't have a, currently have a home and community-based waiver program for Medicaid. So they're, you're typically only going to be able to, to apply for long-term care Medicaid um, in a facility environment. Um, but in Delaware, if they're receiving care at home, or even if the ill spouse needs to go to a facility, the house is always going to be exempt, regardless of its value, as long as the the well spouse is living there. And so that's huge, because people often have this fear of, oh my goodness, if I place my spouse in a nursing home, you know, I'm going to lose my house, they're going to take everything I have. And so, you know, you can always see the relief Mm -hmm. on people's faces when we say, oh, no, no, your home is going to be protected as long as at least one of you lives there. Right. I think it helps to look at it all from a policy standpoint, too. You figure when these lawmakers were setting these rules and these Medicaid exclusions, it wouldn't be fair to kick Betty right. out of her house because Bob's gone to a nursing home. It just doesn't make sense. Right. So yes. the house is protected as long as one spouse is living there. And then from a policy standpoint, too, Betty still needs a car to drive. (laughs) So yeah, she's allowed to have a car of any value. One car in Delaware is excluded. Actually, two vehicles in Maryland are excluded. But does Medicaid make Betty sell all of her household contents and her (laughs) jewelry and her collectibles? No, no. Fortunately, uh, Medicaid really doesn't care about people's stuff. Um, And so, no, they don't expect Betty to have a yard sale or sell things on eBay or whatever she might do. So all of that kind of tangible personal property is always going to be exempt. Now, if a person, you know, had an art collection, you know, that they had been collecting for years and years and years, and it was worth hundreds of thousands of dollars, that would be a different story. Um, but standard, you know, she doesn't need to sell her wedding rings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's not ever the, the, the Medicaid application doesn't even ask for a list of those kinds of things. So that's, that's always a big relief too. It is. And then let's talk about the next exclusion. It, this is Delaware only. And that is super important to understand. There are lots of perks to receiving long-term care in Delaware. And this is one of them. Yes. And it relates to retirement accounts. A lot of our clients, we see them owning a home, a few hundred thousand dollars paid off, and then we, they have some savings, but they typically have a lot of money invested in pre-tax retirement accounts like mm-hmm. 401ks and IRAs. Yes. And so in Delaware, there is a special exclusion for the healthy spouse's IRA. And do you want to talk just about how we analyze that situation and sure, yeah, how absolutely. Medicaid looks at that? Yeah. So like Amber said, this is a tremendous planning opportunity in Delaware. And I'll tell you, you know, the fact that we're in Sussex County um, and we have folks that live so close to Maryland, we, you know, we have Maryland residents. We've actually had some Maryland residents choose Um, when their loved ones need facility level care to place their loved one in a Delaware facility for this reason, because the retirement account of the well spouse. So in our example, you know, Bob is the one who needs care. Betty is the one um, who doesn't. So if Betty has an IRA and Bob needs to apply for Medicaid, Betty's IRA is going to be completely protected and off the table and not available to pay for his care but only in Delaware. So if they lived Mm -hmm. in Maryland, (laughs) Betty would be really smart to consider 
placing Bob in a facility in Delaware because the 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 law applies to, for where the person is receiving care. It's not where they were a resident, you know, a day before they moved into a Delaware facility. The thing to understand about this rule, though, if it's Bob's IRA, he's the one who needs care, it's going to be countable. Right. And that's the same in, in Delaware and Maryland. Um, what's really interesting, though, about this um, is that there are strategies. So even if Bob has a retirement account and it's considered countable, there's actually a strategy that we're able to use where we can convert Bob's IRA into an income stream for Betty and it's going to be excluded. Protected 100%. Yes. And mm -hmm. it is an incredible planning opportunity. It's one of those things that almost seems too good to be true, but it is permitted under federal and state law. And unless or until the General Assembly or Congress changes those laws, um, it's something that Medicaid knows is permitted planning. So really important um, if you have a loved one, you know, married couples and there are retirement accounts, really important to get some advice and learn about planning opportunities. We mentioned earlier that married couples often forego looking into this type of planning because they're terrified they're going to lose certain yes. assets. They're also scared, not only are they going to lose the home potentially, but they're going to lose the retirement accounts. And it's a really great thing for us to say, well, did you realize that there's a retirement account exclusion in Delaware? I remember a case, this was years ago, local family had received advice from another attorney. Mm -hmm. And the Betty in this situation was the primary earner, had accumulated significant wealth in her 401k, which had been converted to an IRA. And this other attorney actually said, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you're going to have to start dipping into your 401k to pay for your husband's long-term care. She heard about us somehow, some way. She came to get a second opinion and she wanted to hug me, pick me up and spin <laughs> me around when I told her that her 401k was protected. And again, from a policy perspective, it does make sense. She needed that. You know, Betty needs her retirement account to live through her retirement years if she's healthy and still living in the community. So there's no requirement that she use that and deplete that paying for her ill spouse's care. So super incredible opportunity. And I think that raises a really good point with this type of planning. It is critical that people work with professionals mm -hmm. that know these rules mm -hmm. or get second opinions, whether it's an attorney, you know, even Betty could call her financial advisor and financial advisor is not going to know these rules and say, gosh, Betty, yeah, you've got to start, you know, taking money out of your retirement account. Mm -hmm. Even the CPA, you know, oftentimes, you know, great professionals in their fields, um, but they just don't know these long-term care planning rules. So really important to make sure people get good advice. Right. So in a married couple case, what we've done is we've essentially sprinkled all of Bob and Betty's assets on the table <laughs> and we've taken off all of the exclusions. So we've taken off their house, regardless of its value. We've taken off their car, their tangible property and all their household goods and personal effects. If the well spouse has a retirement account, we've also taken that off the table. So what that leaves on the table to pay for the ill spouse's long-term care is everything else. Mm -hmm. So that would be their checking, their savings, their brokerage, their money market accounts, regardless of whether they're titled in his name, her name, or both. It also would include in, in this example, Bob's retirement accounts of any kind. It would include stocks, bonds. It would include other real estate besides their residence. Yes. And so what we do is we look at the total available assets that are on the table. 
and then we do a spousal calculation because there's something called a resource allowance <laughs> that Betty is also entitled to. Yes. So share with us how Medicaid looks at the assets on the table and determines how many of those assets Betty's allowed to keep. So the general rule, um, Medicaid is going to look at the value, the total value of those assets. And the general rule is they're going to allocate one half to Betty and one half to Bob. Betty can take her half and tuck it away and not spend a dime of it. And whereas Bob's half will have to be spent down. And we'll, we'll talk a little bit and what that means about what that means. Um, but that's the general rule. Unfortunately, there's a cap. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and so that cap currently is about $128,000. It changes annually. But what that cap means is that let's say Bob and Betty have a total of $300,000 worth of assets on the table. Under the general rule, they'd split that. That'd be $150 each. Unfortunately, Betty's not going to get to keep her whole 150. She's going to be capped out at that 128. Mm -hmm. So she'll, you know, keep a maximum of 128. Bob will be allocated the rest of the assets. I can't do that math in my head. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> so we're, we're not his, mathematicians. His 150 and the whatever. Yeah. Else. yeah, but but yeah. So. So, um, but Betty is going to be, you know, she's going to be limited to whatever that current, we call it the CISRA, it's the Community Spouse Resource Allowance and whatever that is annually. Um, so there's also a floor to that. Um, so if, you know, if they had really modest assets and say their total assets on the table were only $40,000, the general rule would give them each 20. But in that case, Betty would actually get to keep a little extra. She'd get to keep up to $25,000. So that's always going to be a minimum amount that the, the well spouse, the community spouse is going to be able to keep. So it's really important in, you know, trying to figure out that calculation to determine exactly what assets are on the table and what's off. Mm -hmm. um, but the good news is, regardless, is that, you know, Medicaid acknowledges that Betty, the well spouse, still needs assets, you know, that she, you know, can't be become destitute just because, you know, her spouse needs care. Right. I think we should mention Medicaid's snapshot date yes, because that becomes very important in married couple cases. And what we mean when we say that is what day does Medicaid take a picture of the value of the assets on the table for purposes of determining how much is allocated to Bob versus how much is allocated to Betty? Yeah. So the snapshot date generally is going to be the earlier of when the Medicaid applicant begins receiving care or their application date. And so let me explain that. Mm -hmm. You know, typically when a person is going to receive Medicaid at home, they're oftentimes not going to start receiving care until they've got that Medicaid approval. So their snapshot date is going to be when they apply for Medicaid. They're going to get the approval and then the care will begin. Mm -hmm. Whereas with facilities, oftentimes people, you know, because there's been a crisis, they um, are moved to a facility. They might have to privately pay for, you know, some time period. And when they're, when they first begin receiving that care, that's going to be their snapshot date because that's typically going to be earlier than when they actually apply for Medicaid. The good news about that is they're going to get credit mm -hmm. um, for any money that they do use to privately pay. You know, that's going to get worked into the calculation. So that's why that snapshot varies depending on, like I say, the earlier of when care begins or when the Medicaid application is submitted. Perfect. 
So then once Medicaid has determined how much is allocated to Bob in this example, Bob's allowed to keep 2000 bucks. It's all he's allowed to have under the Medicaid eligibility rules in Delaware. It's $2,500 in Maryland. It's, it's not much different. So of the amount allocated to Bob, we now have to spend that money down. Yes. And option one is just spend it. Write the check every month till it's gone. Yes. And once Bob spent his full amount, he's eligible for Medicaid. And that is certainly something that families have the option of doing. But and unfortunately, people do because they don't know there's another option. Right, right. Or the second option is to consider asset protection planning in the crisis setting, which is why we call this crisis planning. And so there are tremendous planning opportunities, especially for married couples. Yes. You already mentioned one of them, which was the conversion of Bob's retirement account into an income stream for Betty, which allows for his entire retirement account to be protected for her. That's just one Incredible. example of so many strategies in a married couple case. I mean, there are married couple cases where we can shelter nearly all yes. of the assets. So just for purposes of this podcast session and to give the audience a little flavor of once we've determined how much is allocated to Bob and then need to start spending that down on things besides the nursing home or the in-home caregiver. Yes. Rattle off some ways that we might look at spending some of that money in a way that'll benefit the family. Sure. We call this strategic spend down. And a really important thing to understand, and so I want to make sure everyone hears me. <laughs> Tiny. <laughs> yeah. So the whole discussion we just had about snapshot date is really critical to this spend down conversation, um, especially for a married couple. Because here's the thing. If a couple spends prior to the snapshot, be, snapshot date being determined, that's going to ultimately reduce the total amount of assets they can keep. So it's really important that if people are going to, you know, hear this podcast and if they try to do planning, please hear me when I say that the timing of spend down is critical. It has to be done after the snapshot date has occurred. And that could be, like I said, when care begins or when the Medicaid application is actually submitted. But if you spend before the snapshot date, it's going to reduce the amount of assets that, that the well spouse can keep. Kind of so, shooting yourself in the foot. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Um, so again, I feel like I sound like a broken record, but so important mm -hmm. to get proper advice with this kind of planning. Um, so strategic spend down. So there are various ways. Um, so again, you know, let's say that there's $100,000 that's allocated to Bob that needs to be spent. Like Amber said, it doesn't have to be spent on care. It can be, mm -hmm. but it doesn't have to be. And what we look at, are there ways that it can be strategically spent to, um, to you know, provide for Bob and Betty or perhaps their family members. And so one of the biggest ones that we see is prepaid funeral planning, mm -hmm. um, you know, an expense that all of us will incur someday. And so Medicaid allows couples to spend up to $15,000 each making prepaid funeral arrangements. So really smart planning. You pick a funeral home, you go, you work with them. They all have, you know, great pre-need planning specialists. Um, so you plan out the goods and services, and then you actually prepay for it. Um, the funds go into typically a, some type of a life insurance product, and it's there for, you know, the day that those expenses are actually incurred. So really smart planning, something that we generally always recommend that our families um, engage in. I'd like to just say about that really quickly that 
that is such a gift to the family too. Absolutely. Because when a loved one passes away and all of those decisions have already been made with the funeral home and the service has already been paid for, yes. it, it is a tremendous relief on the family. Yes, it's a blessing. It really. is. It re- is a huge gift. And, you know, we all are going to face that need someday yes. and it's expensive yes. to be cremated or buried. Yes. And so having the assurance that that's already taken care of, the worst thing that could happen is a family spends every dime they have paying yeah. for long-term care, yes. then they pass away, and then who's going to pay for the funeral? Right. It's the fastest way for resentment yes. to build, <laughs> family conflict, because yeah. it's a highly emotional time. So yeah. the Medicaid caseworkers would tell you to do this. Yes. If there are assets that need to be spent down, always, always, always consider prepaid funeral planning. Yes. And here's the thing. In the Medicaid context, absolutely. But any estate planning, yes. it is smart planning regardless, mm-hmm. you know, not just in this Medicaid planning. Because, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. It's such a blessing for a family. Um, another big spend down strategy, especially with married couples, is a new car. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes families come to us, they've got two older cars that, you know, they've been driving around forever. And so oftentimes they'll trade those cars. The well spouse will trade those two cars in and get a newer car. Um, we've had some of those spouses really splurge and go out and buy something that they maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. And they said, well, gosh, I got to spend this money. So I'm going to treat myself. Mm-hmm. Now, not all people would think that that's appropriate, but a car of any value is going to be exempt. Um, so oftentimes when they do have sort of those old cars that are kind of on their last leg, it's a smart mm-hmm. um, move because, you know, then, you know, they will have used those, those funds now and they, they'll avoid having that expense down the road. Mm-hmm. Also for married couples, home improvements mm-hmm. are a tremendous spend down opportunity because the home is exempt. Any money that you spend on the home is going to convert. If it's money sitting in the bank, it's going to be considered countable. It's on the table. But if you spend it on the house, you're essentially converting it to an exempt asset. So you, know, you can get that sunroom you've always run, wanted or pave the driveway or make necessary repairs get that new hot water heater mm-hmm. or fix the roof or, you know, even get new furniture or appliances or whatever it may be. Um, so, you know, all of that kind of spending is, is permitted. And again, sometimes people do that to treat themselves. Sometimes they do it because there's stuff they've been putting off. They've been afraid to spend money because they thought they were going to need it for care. Right. What about if there is a mortgage or there's a $10,000 credit card bill or could they use any of what's allocated to Bob to pay down or pay off debts? Absolutely. And they really should consider that because um, once Bob is receiving care and we, we haven't really talked a lot about the income rules, you know, income generally is not ever going to keep a person from achieving Medicaid eligibility, but sometimes, you know, the income might be limited if one spouse needs facility level care. Mm -hmm. And so if there are debts, you know, those monthly payments, um, it typically is smart to use part of that spend down cash Mm -hmm. to pay off debt if there's enough or pay down debt. You know, we've had some clients refinance mortgages on their homes, you know, by putting down a chunk of the spend down funds and then, you know, refinancing the balance to create a a smaller monthly payment. Um, So definitely if there's debt that always needs to be considered as part of the planning and is usually smart, you know, spend down. Just like paying debts, if there are tax obligations yes. too, we can we can pay those as part of spend down. And a question that sometimes comes up is, well, what if a family wants to hire a professional like you? <laughs> Who's the client right. and who pays your fees? Right. Well, what's really nice on the family is the client is always the senior. 
and therefore Bob's spend down amount can be used to hire professionals, whether yes. that's elder law attorneys or whether that's a good accountant to do a tax analysis. Those professional services are part of what we call spend down too. So I, I think maybe we should just take a minute to say, this is what we do. And families who hire professionals to help them through this process, talk about another gift to them yes. because this is so stressful and it is so complicated that to take that off of their shoulders, even though there's a cost for the service can be incredible to relieve the family of the burden of how are we going to pay for care? And then finally, what if Bob's 100000 that's allocated to him can't be used in any of the ways you just mentioned? <laughs> right, right. Because Betty's sitting there staring at you saying, now I love my car. My house is perfect. I've already done my prepaid funeral. I don't have any debt. How on earth am I going to spend this 100000 of cash I've got here that's allocated to my husband right. without paying the nursing right. home? What's the final <laughs> ultimate way that she can spend that down strategically yes. without paying it to yeah. Yeah, the so, long-term care provider. So we're always going to look at this, you know, strategic spend down, spend down opportunities and see if that makes sense. And for most families, they do some spend down mm -hmm. and then they still have sort of a pot mm -hmm. of assets left over. And then some, like you said, they don't, they don't want to spend any of it or they don't need to spend any of it. Mm -hmm. So they say, oh my goodness, well, what can I do? Mm -hmm. So that's when we use annuities. Mm -hmm. So there's such a thing as what's called a Medicaid compliant annuity. They're generally what are called single premium, where you pay a lump sum to an annuity company. And they're immediate annuities, which means the month after you purchase it, you're going to immediately begin receiving a monthly payment back from the annuity company as a stream of income. And you're going to choose a term for the annuity, you know, say it's a three-year term. <clears throat> well, you're going to get monthly payments over those three years. There's going to be some interest factored into those payments. And over that three-year time period, the annuity company will return every dollar that you've invested plus interest. Mm -hmm. And so annuities, and so I said, I specifically wanted to talk about it being a Medicaid compliant annuity. You know, there's all kinds of annuities out there and, you know, any financial advisor that you talk to, you know, can, can discuss, you know, and, and sell you, you know, all these different types of annuities, but Medicaid compliant annuities are very special. <laughs> and most financial advisors do not have access to be able to sell them. Um, so again, someplace where, you, you know, you have to be really careful and make sure you're working with a appropriate professionals for that. But when you have, you know, a Medicaid compliant annuity in the married couple context, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. Because in, you know, in my example, if if they have $100,000 that needs to be spent down and they say, well, there's nothing that we need to actually spend it on, Betty can take that entire $100,000 and purchase a Medicaid compliant annuity with it. Mm -hmm. And Medic Betty is going to be the owner of that annuity. And the monthly payments that come back from the annuity are going to be payable to Betty. And because Betty is not the Medicaid recipient, she's the spouse, those monthly payments to her are going to have no effect on Bob's Medicaid eligibility. So this is huge. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is why our married couple clients love us mm -hmm. when we are able to share this news with them. And so you can see it as they're sort of processing. And then once, you know, they kind of connect the dots, they realize, oh my goodness, everything we have to spend, I can annuitize 
and I'll get it all back. I have to choose a term Mm -hmm. and there's some rules related to the term. You know, you don't want it to be too short. Um, You don't want it to be too long. And so that's something we talk out with clients. But when Betty realizes that, okay, my house is safe. (laughs) I get to keep a car. Maybe I'll buy a new one. I don't know. You know, and all my things are safe. I get to keep my retirement account. I get to keep, you know, roughly one half of our savings. And then the amount that we do have to spend wait, I can annuitize that. And so ultimately I get to keep all of that too. Well, Betty realizes she doesn't have to spend anything on care if she does the planning early enough. Right. You know, for people who oftentimes families come to us after they've been already privately paying for a while. So this, the use of the Medicaid compliant annuity is incredible. And I'll say it again. It's one of those things sounds too good to be true, but it is spelled out in the federal laws and regulations and even in our state rules. Mm -hmm. You know, the Medicaid rules were changed pretty significantly back in 2005. And those 2005 rules, they actually, that's where we get the requirements for how you determine whether an annuity is Medicaid compliant or not comes directly from the regulation. So it's all permitted planning and it works beautifully. It's the closest thing to a magic wand <laughs> that we have. It is. Yeah. It is. And and when we do Medicaid planning for our families, we submit all of this on their behalf to Medicaid. Yes. So we're the ones presenting the planning that we've done to Medicaid on the family's behalf. Mm-hmm. And countless times Medicaid see the Medicaid caseworker sees these annuity contracts and they are accepted because yes. like you said they're permissible under right. state and federal regulations. So yeah. married couples should never delay getting good advice. Absolutely. Because especially if a well spouse is listening to this right now, you may have been nervous about getting advice, nervous to talk to an attorney, worried that you can't afford long-term care, wearing yourself out because you want to be the only primary caregiver for your spouse for fear that you can't afford someone to help you or you're scared to have someone come into your home. And this is where we help. I mean, we can help those well spouses who are doing an incredible job taking care of their spouse, but maybe need a little help. And this will help keep Bob at home longer. Absolutely. Too. So yeah. it's just so important to get good advice as early as possible to plan yes. for these kinds of things because these strategies are available. They're out there and they work so incredibly well. So to summarize this crisis planning for married couple segment, let's just wrap up by talking about myths or traps or the, my neighbor, my cousin's sister said, or, you know, the, the things that oftentimes people hear that just kind of don't make sense. (laughs) And hopefully we can debunk them so that people leave this thinking, okay, I have a clear understanding of what options are available to me. There's a lot of fear out there, Mm -hmm. a lot of myths, you know, and again, we hear them, you know, from all kinds, you know, even other professionals. Yeah. We hear these myths. So, so the first is spending more than you have to. And I think we've illustrated that so well by yeah. talking. I mean, you just summarized it beautifully. I feel like that we could sit with Betty in our conference room and we could give her so many opportunities to shelter almost all yes. of their life savings. And so for people who wait too long yeah. to get good advice, they're spending more than they have to yeah. on long-term care. Yeah, they're spending, well, in the facility, they're spending... Twelve, thirteen, fourteen thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. that they don't have to spend. Right, 
And, you know, that's the thing, again, that makes our, our work really rewarding because, you know, clients can come and hire us and when they compare our fees to one or two months in a nursing home, you know, it, it, the planning starts to make sense really quickly. Right. The return on the investment. Yes. It, it yes. happens very quickly. So the next kind of trap or myth that we hear is, oh, well, Betty can do everything for Bob because <laughs> Betty's married to him and she's his wife. And so by nature of the marriage, she can do what she needs yeah, to do. Huge myth. Um, because, you know, when you, and I always joke, you know, when you really think about that for married couples, you know, it kind of makes sense yeah. that that really isn't the case. I mean, you think about some couples, if they could, you know, transact legal affairs on behalf of one another, uh, that that'd be would, scary. <laughs> big problem. But so yeah, really important even for married couples to have thorough, up-to-date power of attorney documents in place where they can name their spouse as their legal agent so that they do have that authority. And just quick story, years ago, I had a client, husband, um, very unexpectedly had a severe stroke and, um, you know, wife came in and was so concerned he needed to go to a facility. Um, at that time, I think it was about $11,000 a month. And classic scenario, like you said earlier, they owned their homes, they had some life insurance policies, they had a little cash in the bank. But their biggest source of, of you know, funding was in his IRA. Mm-hmm. So she reaches out, contacts the IRA company, says, you know, my husband's had a stroke. I have to start paying a nursing home. You know, how do I get access to his IRA? And they said, uh, send us your power of attorney. And they didn't have one. Mm-hmm. And she was floored. She just couldn't believe. And so in their case, we had to pursue a court-appointed guardianship for wife to gain access. to, So she learned really, really quickly mm-hmm. the importance that had they had a power of attorney in place, she would have had the authority that she needed. Unfortunately, it delayed. She had to spend a lot of money, court costs. Um, you know, so yeah, powers of attorney, critical planning for everyone, mm-hmm. including married couples. Right. So important. Sometimes the most important tool. We start doing this crisis planning for families and have to stop in our tracks if we realize there's not a good up-to-date power of attorney in place. Yeah. And I I should have added, the power of attorney obviously needs to be signed when the person is competent to do so. So that's why in my case, husband was no longer competent. So yeah, our only option was guardianship. And then when we have to pursue guardianship as an alternative to the power of attorney, we have no guarantee that the court's going to permit this type of planning. We can argue that it's permissible, that it's in the best interest of the client, but there's no guarantee that it's going to work. You're at the court's mercy. So you already mentioned this and you said it, you said it, I think in two different ways about the snapshot of a married couple's assets and do not spend too soon because if you inadvertently spend too soon, you have spent more than what is needed. You've reduced the share of the healthy or the well spouse. So don't hear us say today, oh, well, you can do prepaid funeral planning and you can buy a new car and you can do home renovations. Because you have to do that at the right time. Yeah. And let me just give a quick example of that. So couples say they've got $100,000 of assets on the table. They do the snapshot 50-50. They each get allocated 50000 If 
you know, two weeks before they went and applied for Medicaid and the snapshot was done, they said, oh, yeah, I heard heard Michelle and Amber talk about prepaid funeral arrangements. Let's go do that. And let's say they go spend 20 grand on their funerals and then they apply for Medicaid. Now there's only, you know, they had 100, they spent 20. Now there's 80 left on the table. Now the split is going to be 40-40. So Betty's share has been reduced by $10,000. Right. So the difference is if they still had the 100 grand, Betty gets 50, Bob gets 50, they set aside Betty's 50. Now they go and spend 20. That's going to come out of Bob's half. So that's just a simple, easy example of how if you spend to if you spend prior to the snapshot, it's going to reduce total assets that you can keep. Right. So the other one we talked about, I think, in great detail, but just to remind the listeners, be cautious of using protected assets, excluded assets to pay for long term care. Medicaid right within the rules outline all kinds of exclusions, which means those assets do not have to be used to pay for long-term care. And one of the biggest is the healthy spouse's retirement account in Delaware. Don't use that money to pay for the ill spouse's care because it's excluded. Yes. The other thing is don't sell real estate (sighs) unless you get good advice because you could accidentally yeah. turn an excluded asset right. into cash yeah. that's now available. Yeah, $300,000 house is exempt, but you sell it. Now you've got $300,000 of cash in the bank. Now that's countable. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge mistake. Terrible. Yeah. Actually, I think just as we're speaking, we have a team member meeting with a family yes. where they got a notice from Medicaid, were concerned about the ill spouse's name still being on an asset, and without proper advice, sold the real estate. And what they could have accidentally done is Mm. exposed an excluded asset to being available to pay for the cost of long-term care. So just navigate cautiously (laughs) through these rules. Get get good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And finally, let's wrap up today's session with after we get Bob eligible for Medicaid, And he's now receiving the care that he needs. It's being offset by Medicaid benefits. And so Betty is now maybe still providing some care or still visiting with Bob in the facility. Betty still has a responsibility, though, to update her planning. Yes. Because we don't want something to accidentally happen to Betty and then Bob to inherit assets from her and lose his Medicaid eligibility. So we talked just a minute about what we normally do to assess the well spouse's estate plan. Yeah, this is so important because once you get a a spouse eligible for Medicaid, you want to make sure they stay eligible. And, you know, almost every Medicaid client that we've ever worked with, they come to us and they have those simple wills, or maybe they have trusts, but they leave all assets to each other at the first death. Mm -hmm. And that's what you would expect. Mm -hmm. And that works beautifully in every scenario, except when one of the spouses is receiving long-term care benefits. Because what happens, yeah, if Betty passes away unexpectedly and Bob inherits all those excluded assets, you know, the house, the money she was able to keep, you know, the annuity, once she got all those annuity funds back and she put them in the bank, you know, now she has all of those assets that were all protected. If she passes away and has a simple will that leaves everything to Bob, or if she still has Bob listed as beneficiary on her IRA or on her life insurance policy, well, now Bob inherits all those assets. And guess what? 
he loses his Medicaid eligibility, which is tragic. Tragic. Because then we have to spend those back down to $2,000. Whereas if Betty had taken one more step, you know, she did all the planning to get him eligible. And then if she takes one more step, and this is something that we always advise our well spouses on, um, if she takes one more step and she updates her estate planning, she can still provide for Bob if she dies first. Um, We create what are called supplemental needs trusts. Um, And I guess we have, I know, a a session on those where we talk about those being just a great planning um, tool for anyone who's disabled. But in this context, what that would allow Betty to do would be if she died first, um, that she could set assets aside in a special kind of trust that would be available to provide for Bob, still be a nest egg for Bob, but in a way that's not going to jeopardize his Medicaid eligibility. And Betty would name a trustee, someone that she would trust to look out for Bob and use the assets for his benefit if need be. And she could place all of the assets in that trust, or perhaps maybe she only puts part of the assets in that trust. You know, that would have to be a discussion and a decision for her. But really important planning um, for Betty to consider. Uh, You know, people often who, you know, are in that situation, you know, lots of people don't think about it at all. And they still have those old wills in place that are, you know, potentially disastrous. Some people do think about it. And what they'll do is they'll just absolutely disinherit Bob. And, you know, we don't consider that best practice. Um, you know, we want to make sure that Bob is provided for. You know, that's the goal. One of the you know primary goals of planning is to make sure that there's always a nest egg available to um, that person. And so this is really the best of all worlds where we can still protect the assets, but we can still, you know, protect Bob and provide for him too. Betty also, she probably needs to update her power of attorney and her advanced healthcare directive and, you know, her will. And if she has a revocable trust, but to definitely include that planning, um, to, to shelter assets in case she goes first. Perfect. I think that's a great way to wrap it up. I think sounds good. Yeah. Married couples have just learned a lot. I hope so. I hope <laughs> yeah. so. If we could shout this stuff on the rooftops, I feel like we would just because we're, we want to help yes. families who are in these situations. Yes. So yeah. get good advice. Can Absolutely. you think of anything else we should add? Yeah, get good advice. And, 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 you know, check into this stuff, you know, don't assume it's too expensive. Don't assume that there's nothing that can be done, you know, get advice. Um, because and get, you know, get your loved ones the care that they need, mm-hmm. you know, and you don't have to be a martyr. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do it all yourself. I mean, I can't tell you how many of our clients have told us once we've done the planning and their loved one is getting the care, or even when it's at home and, you know, the well spouse now gets a break, you know, and, and if it's Betty, you know, she can go get her hair done or her mm-hmm. nails done or go out to lunch with a friend or just go like, take a nap Mm -hmm. (laughs) because now she has help. Um, you know, that's going to, that's going to provide the best care for not only the ill spouse, but the The well spouse also. Perfect. Yep. Well, thanks so much for being with us today on off the clock. If you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at pwwlaw.com. Of course, you can contact us directly by calling 302-628-4140 or emailing info at pwwlaw.com. We're here to help you plan today to protect your families tomorrow. See you next time. Anything discussed on Off the Clock is for general informational purposes only and is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. To obtain the most reliable guidance, listeners are encouraged to seek personalized advice from qualified professionals.